0: So I really tried to design something that allowed people the fun aspect of getting back to play, which allows us, especially at that point, and even now, um, an ability to open up a little more, rather than try to have another brainstorming session, or whatever it is, and um, and really incorporate play and creativity and connection through conversations um, on a workshop. And we do that through using different modalities. I mean, Plato has an amazing scent to it. So we're engaging, we're activating, activating smell. Uh, you're touching it. You can create whatever you desire out of it. Uh, you know the activity where we mix it, which sends some people right over the edge. So just a bunch of different activities that elicit different, different emotions in you and trying to understand why that is and connecting it to important aspects of the work place.
1: You are listening to the High Growth Founders podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. Today's interview is with one of the most interesting founders that I've had the pleasure of speaking with. Teresa Bailey, she's got some really ridiculously cool things going on. Not only does did she create, and it now is the the sole license holder of Play-Doh Power Solutions, a interactive um, play-based workshop using Play-Doh, which I've had the pure joy of getting to experience. And seriously, it's, it's a mind-blowing kind of experience. Um, we talk about that a little bit, but she also has a book coming out uh, published by Harper Collins, all about being a hockey mom. And um, so we also talk about the hockey mom community, website and community that she has built. Um, yes, she's Canadian. And how she built it, why she built it, and how freaking big it is. There's like 40,000 members on the website itself, um, lots more on um, Facebook, an incredibly popular and Impactful community that is all about increasing inclusion in hockey. So the book, they interview uh, the moms of disabled players, Black players, Indigenous players, women, um, you name it. And so she really is just this huge advocate, one for inclusivity and um, psychological safety on teams, but then also in the hockey community. And it's, it's she's amazing. But what is the most interesting about this interview is she is actually an expert on resilience. That's what she um, went to grad school for. It's what she wrote her thesis on. And so we really dive into, she, she gives basically the resilience 101 during this interview with with tactical tips and tricks of how to do it, how to cultivate resilience in your own life, the practices that you could put into place to stay more grounded and more aligned and more intentional in your life, in your business, and in your world. So um, give this one a listen. This is an amazing interview. She is an incredible woman. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Teresa Bailey, I am so incredibly excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for joining the podcast.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Casey.
1: I've been really looking forward to this. So before we kind of get into it, um, tell everyone just a little bit about who you are, what you do. I know that it's a a lot of things, but give us kind of the the rough breakdown on, on you
0: okay so i'm the founder of starfish synergies and that's been since uh, fall of 2020 and previous to that i was a consultant for a lot of years uh, doing mostly research and evaluation and uh, facilitation with community and corporate teams so i have a corporate training Uh, synergy uh, is a corporate training entity and um, I also have a website for Hockey Moms called CanadianHockeyMoms.com that's been around since two- 2010.
1: Okay, really quick. How many members are there in the Hockey Mom community? Uh,
0: there are probably around 40,000 on our Facebook page. There are more than that. The community is larger than that. And we're all talking hockey all the time. I'm up in Canada, so that's what we do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get into it a little bit more in just a minute, but but explain a little bit about what Starfish Synergies actually does.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah, I kind of glossed over that, but I have the exclusive licensing rights to deliver Plato Power Solutions corporate training in North America. And that's something uh, that came out of the pandemic, this opportunity. So We've been scaling the business since uh, uh, November 2020 and working with teams with Play-Doh.
1: Oh, cool. So cool. And I've gotten to experience it myself, how I still... I I have Play-Doh on my, on my desk pretty much all the time. It's, my, it's now my... Um, I don't know. I, I'm not like a fan of the fidget spinners, but what I do is I roll around Play-Doh while I'm on, on calls now. Um, and it's, it's kind of a godsend for me, honestly. But we'll talk a little bit, um, more
0: about what it is.
1: Yeah. What did you want to add about Play-Doh and, and Starfish? What are you doing?
0: So, Casey, when you and I did the um, Plato Power Solutions, we were focusing on team building, and that's a lot of what we focus on is bringing teams together and having really um, intense conversations in a very collaborative and uh, safe way. So it's been something that's been really effective through um, the last couple of years when we got all of these hybrid work situations and people going back to work and then we do other things and help people um adapt uh, teams adapt work with teams to be more versatile and it's been a really fun ride so far and I feel like we're just getting started
1: Oh yeah. And it was it was such an interesting experience because when we when we did that together, I knew everyone on the call, some, you know, quite well. And it was fascinating to see how Plato and working with it, even virtually, um, I learned really amazing things about people um through that experience. And I can imagine as um Teams Having that ability to connect more deeply and to better understand sort of what makes people tick um, would be so helpful and powerful um, when I think there's tons of teams now where they've never gotten in person. They've never actually met each other in person. And so having something like this can bridge that gap in a really unique way.
0: It's rare for me to have a, a session, even in the last 20 that I've done, I think I've maybe had two where there isn't someone brand new starting, or there aren't a number of vacancies. There's just such turnaround everywhere right now. And, and I always say we, we're we a catalyst. We fast track psychological safety. So it, it's been mm, a great experience. That's and huge. A lot. Mm-hmm.
1: um. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well we will I know we will talk more about this in in just a little bit, but we start every one of these interviews with a story. And the the real theme of of this show is that we learn more from the hard things than the easy things, unfortunately. That's part of life. And so if you'd be willing, please tell us a story about I don't know, something you went through, something you experienced that frankly, kind of sucked in the meantime or or while you were in the middle of it, but ultimately led to um, a lesson, an aha, something that fueled your growth and wound up being a, a pretty transformative experience for you?
0: Sure. Um, I think that for me, it's more like stair steps. My experience has been like stair steps and there've been three really significant things that have happened that all prepared me for the next thing, which was the largest, most recent thing. And the first was um, a really toxic work environment, where that was around 2009, that plus a really unhealthy home environment that forced me out of the workforce. I have three children and was working full time at that point. And I became a consultant and it was a huge identity crisis I went through, a huge uh, adjustment in who I was as a person once you have yourself wrapped up in this identity, and then trying to find clients initially was the first one. And the second one was when my uh, marriage broke down and everything I thought was important to me was suddenly blown up. And another identity crisis, having to learn to do things on my own, being a a single mom, uh, with three children, as an entrepreneur at that point was very scary. Uh, it's, it's a whole other thing around financing and trying to be independent as a, as an entrepreneur woman was something was terrifying that I learned, uh, through. And then the final thing that I think was the most transformative was, um, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020 and all of this corporate training I was doing in person before the Plato came around, um, I lost everything. So I had zero income coming in and eligible for absolutely nothing. And as time sort of went on, and we real and I I had been watching, I wasn't someone who was caught off guard by the fact it was really serious. I knew it was going to be serious, because I'd been watching what was happening in Europe. And um, so it became pretty scary. How am I going to keep my home? How am I going to pay the bills when I have nothing, all my events have been canceled, and there's nothing left.
1: What did you learn from each of those experiences? You know, you use this term, uh, identity crisis. But so, I I think a lot about. There's a book that I love, Jerry Colonna's uh, Reboot, and he talks about how it's not a midlife crisis. It's a mid it's a midlife awakening. And so I'm curious. It sounds like that applies. <laughs> Maybe not an identity crisis, but an identity awakening. So so talk a little bit about what you learned from these experiences.
0: And I think that that's um, an important observation is that initially, I think maybe a, it was a crisis for me. But then the, after I went through the first one, I really learned that it was a, a tra- transformation and an awakening, which helped to prepare me for this last one, which was the scariest, but also uh, the one that I knew I was ready for. And I think about for... Any people listening who have, who have um friends who've had children who've had children, there was this moment when I had my third child and without any pain, it was all natural. And at one point I I I'm pretty sure I yelled, I said, I can't do this. And she looked at my midwife looked at me and said, Tracy, you were made for this. And I feel like I hit that point this time I knew that I was ready for it. But it um what did I learn? I think I learned that no matter what happens, if you have yourself and the skills that you've learned and good people around you, and you go back to what you really know, which is what I did, you can make it out of anything. So for me, once the world shut down, and I had nothing, I really thought about where I started. And where I started was actually working in homeless shelters and with people who had serious and persistent mental health um, problems. And I was doing research back then trying to find out What, what helps some people out of situations and does not, and it makes other people stuck in them. So I studied my master's in community psychology. I actually did a graduate. um, I did my thesis in a young women's emergency shelter, looking at protective and risk factors. And the protective factors we now know are resilience. So for the past twenty years, I've stayed up on those things. And when we hit. The pandemic and I lost everything, I thought, well, what do I know? Well, I know what people who are resilient have, what they need. So I need to practice that myself. And then I packaged it into a course. And the thing that helped me not lose my mortgage or lose my house was um, Tools for a Resilient Workforce, this course that I put together and started selling to people through the pandemic. That's amazing. So, okay, Break this down
1: for us. What do resilient people have and need to continue to be resilient?
0: Well, for me, resilience is a couple of things. People think of it as being able to bounce back. And I think that that's true. You do have to, people who are resilient can bounce back. But the second component, and maybe that's why I think more about the stair steps, is they can learn from what they've gone through. And those are two important factors that you can keep continuing to learn through all of the crises that comes, that come up in your life. And you're always building on that. So through the course, we learn to uh, think about those things and think about there are really four categories of things. So what people have helped you in the past through difficult situations, what has inspired you, what music or poems or what, what sort of, Movies, whatever it is, I have uh, things behind me that my kids painted. You know, whatever those things are that that get your, you know, mood up, and then we think about what strategies you can develop and what action you can put in place. So when you work through those with people enough times, you get really comfortable. Every time something comes up, being able to think through that same process and and also being able to help other people think through that process also. So those for me are important things. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, okay, I know that because that, I know you well enough to know that, that part of all of this and part of what came out of these experiences is Play-Doh Power Solutions. So tell us a little bit about how this came about because, you know, we've, and we've talked about this and I've done my research. There's really nothing else quite like this. So, so where did this all come from?
0: Well, it actually came from uh, some writing I had posted on LinkedIn that I wasn't sure that I should post. So first of all, I took a risk. I went outside of my comfort zone. And that's something important to me is every time I feel like something's uncomfortable, I know I should do it. If it seems like a yep, might lead somewhere one. <laughs> uh, positive. And then yep. from there, a few weeks later, like it wasn't even right away, so people need patience also. I got contacted by, I was contacted by someone that I went to high school with over 25 years ago. I haven't seen him for a long time. And uh, he was the vice president for Hasbro uh, marketing team in Canada and asked me to do a session with his team. And I had been doing a lot of work with different experiential methods. I like to, to use different things. I always have. And uh, he asked me to do it with Play-Doh. So because... We were online at that point, and we had cancelled a couple in-person sessions. We did this session, and people from across North America could be there from Hasbro, and it went so well that uh, they offered me the opportunity to develop corporate training with Plato, and then from there came the exclusive license to do so, which took uh, quite a while to get into place, but once it was in place, it, it's been pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, okay, So so... Share a little bit, you know, for those of us that don't, that don't have your experience with this workshop facilitation and, and how you do these, you create these experiential learning programs. How did you approach, like, how did you think through creating a workshop using Play-Doh, especially for the Hasbro team? What was your approach to doing all of that?
0: Well, and on, and virtually. Because that was the other thing, trying to think through that. Because, yeah, yeah, Yeah. we were all just learning to do that at the time. Um, For me, I think because I've been facilitating so long, I know what works with people and I know what's important and I know it's important to have them engaged. But I also know because of a lot of the work that I've done on myself, how important it is to understand the emotions connected with whatever it is you're doing. So I really tried to design something that allowed people the fun aspect of getting back to play, which allows us, especially at that point, and even now, um, an ability to open up a little more rather than try to have another brainstorming session or whatever it is, and um, and really incorporate play and creativity and connection through conversations um, on a workshop. And we do that through using different modalities. I mean, Plato has an amazing scent to it. So we're engaging, we're activating, activating smell, Uh, you're touching it, you can create whatever you desire out of it. Uh, You know, the activity where we mix it, which sends some people right over the edge. So just a bunch of different activities that elicit different, different emotions in you and trying to understand why that is and connecting it to important aspects of the workplace
1: yeah it, it's it's really fascinating, and it's something that when when you first told me about it, I had this sense that it would be powerful, but I almost couldn't i couldn't wrap my brain fully around it until having the experience because it is so different so how do you how do you explain this to people that are sort of intrigued by what you do but don't necessarily get it. What's the what are some of the things that you use to um give people kind of the the at least a little bit of a taste of you know what you get out of an experience like this?
0: Well, I like to actually get some play-doh in people's hands because it's really so much easier once they have it. But uh, to explain that really we're taking you back to a place where you're allowed to be open and free. And we give people creative licenses to talk about, uh, we actually give people a creative license, like a a license that says you have a creative license so that people open up and have an ability to, um, to create things with their hands, to do the different activities we walk through them through. And I think the important thing for people to know is that it's 100% engagement uh, it's hands on. It's using all of your senses, and you come out with actual actionable items that you can do with your team to um, tackle whatever your goal was, whether it was creating a more cohesive team or whether it was figuring out how to improve your communication. And we start with some fun activities to get you into it, and then we actually do the work. and people people often feel that maybe it won't be productive, like they have to have some checkbox that they people always want me to do more in a session than just than the session. And then afterwards, they will say, um, I wish I would have stuck with what you did, because it was so impactful to be able to have those conversations in a really real and honest way. And, and then they ask for another session.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's nice, um, and it is really interesting, right? I think that's such a, it's a such a good metaphor, honestly, for life is that we feel this need to constantly be doing and measuring our worth almost by our productivity. But I know for myself, it's you know m- some of my best ideas and biggest realizations come from when I'm just going for a walk without my phone and I'm just thinking or doing something that gets me out of my rhythm and frankly, away from my desk.
0: Yeah, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to allow people to have different conversations, but everyone is participating and everyone is engaged. And sometimes people are skeptical, but they are never skeptical by the time they leave. I love that. Yeah, it's it's an action-oriented type of workshop that we tailor to people's goals and it's totally play-based. So you get to have fun while you're doing it. Those are, those are the keys to really explain to people what happens.
1: When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still wanna help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So, go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. Okay. So, I think we have to revisit hockey moms because we've kind of glossed over that, but this is, it's really tremendous what you've, built and mostly all anonymously. So tell us a little bit about how that all started and what that journey has been like.
0: Sure. Uh, That came out of that first step that I talked to you about when I resigned from my full pension, full benefits uh, job. And I was in this place where I had been in a very structured environment And really wanted to do something creative. So I had my consulting side where I was focused on the income. And then uh, going through some challenges in youth sport, as many people do, whether it's football or baseball or whatever it is. uh, For me, it was hockey and not knowing how to deal with it. So I decided to uh, tackle a few birds with, can you tackle birds? Someone says feed birds with the same loaf. Feed a few <laughs> birds with the same loaf. Don't tackle birds. Well,
1: I don't know. It sounds a little less sort of violent than killing the birds, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so I started uh, this this website and blog and I did it anonymously, but I really wanted... I didn't used to like people reading my writing. So I um I did it anonymously and... Mm-hmm got some practice. And then once it started to grow, people found out it was mine. And over the last um, 12 years, I've had some really great experiences out of it. I've never made any money off the mom specifically, but worked with some great brands who've helped pay for my own kids to play hockey. And then another thing that happened when um, when March 2020 hit was uh, I had more time because there was nothing going on. And I had always wanted to write a book and reached out to a colleague who who I knew who had done some interviews on me before about the website and was asking him to connect me to moms and uh, he offered to help write it. And once he offered to help write the book, uh, within a couple of weeks, he had connected with someone that he knew and we had a, a book deal with HarperCollins. So it's actually being launched and uh, published in October, this this book that I w- that came out of And both those deals came within a couple weeks of each other, so. (laughs) You know, when it rains, it pours. So tell us a little
1: bit about the book.
0: I always wanted to learn more. I think that women, I think women in any sport are, most sports are underrepresented, but I think certainly um, in hockey, it's a very white male dominated sport. So I really wanted to put something together that represented the experience of boys playing hockey and girls playing hockey and um, indigenous players and black players and players with disabilities. And and so we have this book where we've interviewed the moms about their experience. So they're talking about their children and and the experience through their eyes. We have some really elite hockey player moms, and we have some who never expected their children to play who are um, in you know wheelchairs and have mobility issues and are still playing and we put together this book um 34 stories 34 chapters and telling the stories of moms from the mom mom's perspective
1: it's incredible and what a wild what couple of years you've had building these two very different things, creating a book, writing a book, and creating this whole Play-Doh Power Solutions business. How have you managed doing these two things at the same time?
0: It's it's challenging because as anyone who is a founder knows, there's so much to do. So there was so much to do. And then on top of that, there was so much to do writing a book, which is really the only thing I can compare it to is writing um Writing a, a thesis is the only thing I've experienced quite like it. But um, trying to make sure that I just segmented time for each and being as organized as I can, but also giving myself a bit of slack. I mean, 2020 was pretty much a write off for a lot of people, but for me, it gave me some quiet time to get really reflective and dig in, which I think is so important for anyone to have that reflection time. Um, So I think I was probably my most productive ever because I had the time to really sit down and focus to do that. So as
1: time goes on, how do you continue to do that? Like, what are some of the things that you do to help create that room and that space for reflection and connection to yourself? Because you've clearly seen the... Very tangible, real, exciting benefits of when you do have that time. So, um, how do you how do you maintain that now that things are obviously there's no such thing as normal anymore? But we are much busier, and um, you know, back to a certain kind of cadence that is a little hectic, and in a way that it wasn't in 2020. So, so what do you do?
0: I'm not always, no one's always great at managing this, but I think I've found um, the important things for me. And its structure around my mornings is so massive for me. So I don't love mornings, but I know that I have to get up and provide myself that time to ease into the day. And so I'm typically up between five and 5.30. I go and do a walk or exercise or whatever it is. And then I, every single day, I meditate for at least 20 minutes, usually it's 20 minutes. And for me, that's the game changer. If I don't do that, my whole day is typically thrown off. And I would not consider doing um, a workshop or running a session if I hadn't done that for myself. So if I can start my day off right um, with some structure, and have what I need to have done, typically, I'll write that down the night before. And start my morning off right. Usually I can manage whatever comes up through the day because everything, something always goes off track. If I don't provide that structure, I go off track with it is what I've found for myself. That's a,
1: that's a very good way of putting it, right? Something's always going to go off track, but if you do the right things, you don't go off track with it. i I, I like the way you put that because I don't think we always think about it quite like that. We think more of, oh, you're better at managing it. But this idea of you almost staying, being able to stay grounded in the face of the chaos, that's a different way of thinking about it. And I think, frankly, a more helpful way.
0: Well, I think that I've learned through all of it, and all of the challenges is that and I say this to my kids a lot too. where we are today isn't where we're going to be tomorrow. And it's certainly not where we're going to be next week. So let's just pause and let things settle for a moment. And then we can make some intelligent decisions rather than reacting. And I think as soon as you get into the mode of reacting, that's when it gets more stressful. I think that if you can stay grounded and make the decisions in a from your center all the way along makes such a huge difference for me when I'm uh when I'm in those really busy times.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and look, I think that's such a good, um, point it's that when we are in reaction mode, we're someone else is dictating our day and dictating kind of our priorities, Um, And so the more sort of intentional we can be, the more control we really actually have over ourselves and, and over our lives. And, you know, you've talked about this morning routine, you've talked about meditation. Is there anything else that you do or that you think about when in terms of not just staying grounded, but also staying aligned with what really matters to you?
0: I do. And actually, these things that I've talked to you about are things that I talk about in that resilience, uh, the tools for resilient workforce course, like I talk to people about those, because I'm talking about the things that I've used, and that have made a difference for me. And it's not just me, like there's research around all of this stuff. So the other really important one for me is journaling. And every day, um, after I meditate, I write, some people do it the night before, but I like to do it after I meditate because I'm calm and I can be more reflective is I write out things that I'm grateful for, an abundance journal or gratitude journal, whatever it is. And then whatever has come up, because for me, you know, I might ask the universe or whatever you want to call it questions. If I have something that I'm, I'm struggling with, I kind of think about it. And then after I meditate somewhere through the day, it's going to come back to me. And often it's right after the answer comes to me when I calmed myself and quieted myself. So often and will I have a book, I have a journal where I write the gratitude in the front and then I turn to the back and I write down whatever's come to me. And usually whatever's, I can go back through my journals now and see all of my good ideas that have come that are documented for the years back. Like they're, they're right there after I meditate. So um, it feels like everything sort of syncs up, but also it's very intentional that I allow things to, come through me and and out onto the pages where I can look back and and sort of get them done.
1: That's incredible. So, okay. So, some of the things that I think about with what you do with Play-Doh, you're interacting with teams on a regular basis. And do you wind up cuz I can imagine that that um and you talked about this, right, helping teams um be better able to have difficult conversations how do you manage facilitating that but without internalizing the the struggle or sort of some of the difficult experiences that these teams or the the people on these teams um, are going through
0: that's a great question because uh, I I've had a couple sessions, one in particular recently that had nothing to do with me, but stuff going on there that I kind of came out and went, whoa, that was a hard one to not let in and not take personally. But honestly, when we think about the challenges that I've been through in my life, I had to learn to do that through these challenges. And especially for anyone who's gone through some sort of relationship breakup or whatever it is, you have to learn to protect yourself a little bit from all of the emotion that's coming at you. So you have to learn to be a little bit, um, I don't want to say distant. That's not thats not what I mean. But there's, there's sort of a, this is my, the things I can control. These are your things. And I think that's allowed me, it's provided me the ability to have really difficult conversations with people and things. Uh, we just did a, a I did a, a workshop recently and we were talking about where you are on the scale of ability to have difficult conversations. That's one of the things that we were talking about because understanding who in a team is comfortable versus uncomfortable having difficult conversations helps you to understand actually what's going on within your team and who's more likely to come forward or who's suffering and misery about something that could be easily remedied. Um, So that was one of the activities they loved the most. Um, But because I've had so much practice at it, it's become easier. And that's another one of the things that we talk about a lot in our workshops is just trying something a little bit difficult makes you so much more comfortable. And then you do a little bit more and a little bit more. And, and gradually, um, I can have really difficult conversations, knowing that the intentions within the conversation are positive, and not getting, if you set your intentions for the conversation, or for the workshop is something that I do, then um, you don't get derailed quite as easily because we all know that the intentions, what we're trying to get out of it is very positive and And uh, so that's sort of how I do it is with, with a little bit of a barrier with practice, but with also being very intentional about what we're discussing and why during the workshops.
1: Well, and I think, look, the, the, this is sort of the theme of the conversation, right, is is having intention and then being able to structure your life in a way that makes it easier to sort of honor those intentions and not get off track from them. So I'm curious, when you notice yourself getting off track, what are some of the things that you do to kind of adjust and, and get back to where you need to be?
0: I actually had that happen yesterday. One of the things, the rules I've set for myself is not to respond, for example, to an email that I don't like the tone of or that I don't like. I I will remove myself and not respond until I have calmed myself and I understand why I'm writing it and I can write it from that place and it makes all the difference in the world. So to get to that place, I actually went for a walk. And another thing that we talk about is how important it is to be physically active, because that changes the, it changes all the chemicals in your body. So that is one of them. Another one is making sure that I have people around me that I trust that I can bounce something off to make sure it's not just my skewed perception, because I think getting other people's perspective is really important on things. And sometimes just taking a pause as if you can do that is important. So those are some of the strategies that I use.
1: I think those are very, very helpful strategies. Uh, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Um, if folks listening want to learn more about um, Play-Doh Power Solutions and want to think about bringing you in to do work with their teams, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
0: They can check out the website at starfishsynergies.com. They can find me on LinkedIn, Teresa Bailey. And uh, they can send me an email at synergies.com.
1: Perfect. And we will have all of those in the show notes. Um, Thank you. This has been, I feel like this is sort of the crash course in resilience training and how people can think about creating systems and practices in their lives to be more grounded and be more intentional so that they can um, kind of stay on track for the things that really matter. So thank you for sharing all of these kind of tips and tricks. I think this is very, very helpful. I have three final questions for you. Sure. So first question, what is one thing that makes you grateful to be a founder?
0: I think the ability to be creative and to con- continually, uh, learn and evolve. Those are motivators for me and uh, and I'm grateful for that.
1: And I mean, you look at the things that you have created and the way that those are evolving, you're the testament to, to those factors of your ability to kind of bring that creativity and that evolution to what you do. Um, so yeah, I, I get that one. Number two super important. Number two, what is a resource or resources that you wind up always recommending to others or you just feel like has been pivotal to your own growth and, and evolution as a founder?
0: Well, the resource, it's more of a practice meditation for sure. Um, all of this started with the um, with the website way back long ago with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's Crush It uh, book. And pretty much exactly what he said would happen, it all has happened. So I know he has a lot of other resources, but I feel like he was ahead of his time a little bit. And uh, so that's a good one. And the other one that I've kind of mentioned is uh, the 5am club by Robin uh, Sharma, I believe, is uh, something it's just you don't have to do it. But it's something that helped me put in place the structure that has allowed me to be so much more productive.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny. It's I waited so long to read Crush It, and it's, I it's it's always very interesting to me. I think Gary Vaynerchuk is like always ahead of his time. That's kind of his thing, but it's really interesting when you've only consumed his social media videos, you get this sense of he's very. It's much more sort of like rah rah and inspirational and like go get him on his social media. I remember being absolutely freaking blown away by reading Crush It. And I think I read Crushing It first as follow-up and then went back and read Crush It because it is just packed, full of super tactical, really detailed, almost getting into the weeds in a good way that I didn't even, I didn't see coming based on his kind of social media presence and all the rest. Like i that's it it's a very good recommendation.
0: Yeah, and and honestly I just picked it up on a whim in uh in chapters. Like it was not it was just a like I picked it up and read it and off I went. But that's sort of how life happens for me I think is I just go on a whim and it and it turns into something pretty cool. So
1: Well, and that right, that's the thing. It's the it's the the serendipity, but it's also the um following your instincts and it's when we have that alignment we're more likely to spot these sort of random little things you pick up a book on a whim or you take a phone call with someone for no real reason and it turns into something kind of magical and and we can't foresee all of the i don't know the 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 positive outcomes that are going to happen from from these little what feel like random or coincidental whims that we have
0: absolutely and a lot of these things take time so you might do something that pans out six months or a year later that all triggers back to that one decision that you made on an instinct and and i think people if they understand that they'll just be a little more patient because it always it always unfolds
1: Yes, that's a that is a very good reminder. Um, Okay, last question. So, if you could go back in time, if today Teresa could go back to Teresa right before you were about to become a founder, right before you're about to start your business, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: I think the advice I would give would be to recognize my limitations, but not be thrown off by them. Like not be um, so self inhibited by them, so that I would find, I would reach out to people like me sooner because other founders, other entrepreneurs are the people who are going to pull you along. And a lot of the times, those of us who start out are surrounded by people who don't have any idea what we're doing. And so it's hard for them to really get behind us. And even now when I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I talk to someone who's been through it. I just did this with another friend that I had, I just reconnected with, who's been very successful, just sold his company. And, and I was saying like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. he's like, the thing is you're smart. You'll figure it out. I still don't know half the stuff that I'm doing, but somehow I've done it and it's so cool. And it's so great. And when you find other people who are excited by the, the fact that you're taking something on that you don't necessarily know how to do, but want you to do well. They're everywhere and you have to not be so self-inhibited that you don't reach out for them because once they're around you, it makes all of the difference.
1: Yeah, that's such a good reminder. I'm listening to Rachel Rogers, We Should All Be Millionaires right now. And that's exactly what she's talking about of, you know, finding a group of people that have done it or are doing it because most of my like really close old girlfriends one is a stay-at-home mom, one is a realtor. Like she they don't do what I do and finding sort of my network of other founders and other entrepreneurs, especially those that are at least a few steps ahead of me, I think has been such a tremendous help. I think that's such a good reminder.
0: And when I found people who had been successful um who actually believed in me, it was really overwhelming and I had so much gratitude because I I didn't expect that, but it turns out they're everywhere. You just have to be willing to open yourself up to the fact that lots of people know more than you and it's okay to ask questions, I guess is what I've learned.
1: And, And to your previous point, even the people that know lots more, they also are still just figuring it out, and and I remember when a mentor of mine who has been tremendously successful, and I was like, I just have no idea what I was doing. And he was like, Casey, no one has any idea what they're doing. I don't have any idea what I'm doing either. We just do it and like stop worrying about it. And it's a, it's always nice to get that reminder when we're in the middle of being a little overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and find the the things that have worked for them, and it saves you so much time to just learn from other people's experiences and they're willing to help. It's great.
1: Well, thank you, Teresa. This was an awesome conversation. I know people um, learned a ton, especially about resilience. And um, truly, I just want to encourage anyone, if you are the leader of a team, look into working with Plato because it is, Teresa's phenomenal at what she does, but it's also, it's one of the coolest and most powerful bonding experiences that I've had. And it's something that um, there's, there's truly nothing else like it. So Teresa, thanks for telling everybody kind of about this. And I hope at least some of you listening reach out and make it happen for your teams.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.